Hey everyone, Dawn Sarah here with Sex Gets Real. And this week we're going to be talking all about erotica because with me in the studio doing this awesome interview with me is Rachel Kramer Bustle. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Good. Uh, well, for those of you that aren't familiar with Rachel, um, if you dabble in erotica, you probably are. But uh, Rachel writes essays and articles all about sex, dating, books, pop culture, feminism, body image. We'll be rolling around in a lot of that today. She's edited over 60 anthologies, including Come Again, Sex Toy Erotica, The Big Book of Orgasms, Cheeky Spanking Stories, Dirty Dates, and the Best Women's Erotica of the Year series, which we're going to be talking about today. She also teaches erotica writing workshops around the country uh, and also does some online work. So we're going to have links to all of the amazing stuff that you do. It sounds like you're busy. <laughs> I am busy. There's yeah. kind of something new every day, but I like that. Yeah. One of the things that uh, fascinates me about your story, I've taken a, an erotica writing class with you at a conference, and uh, I actually produced some stuff in that class that I was like really excited about. Awesome. That makes me so happy. Like, I think sometimes, sorry to interrupt you, but sometimes people, no. they're so focused on getting published, and mm -hmm. I totally encourage people to explore that if they want to, but also to just enjoy the act of writing and creating ideas and coming up with things that you might never have thought of. Like that's what I love to have happen in my classes. Yeah. I think one of the things that helped so much with that was every time I sit down to write for a purpose, I tend to start obsessing about like getting it just right. And instead in your class, you were just giving us these like random starting points of, okay, your erotica, you're going to write for the next few minutes and it needs to involve food or it needs to involve space or something like that, you know? And so just kind of getting out of my head and allowing just the fantasies to flow and the words to come, all of the little snippets that I came up with, I was really pleased with. I was like, I can make something good out of this. <laughs> awesome. I mean, the thing is for me, and I'm sure for a lot of other people, Often when I also sit down, if I say I'm going to write erotica about cowboys or whatever it is, that is not usually how the ideas come to me. I mean, I might jot down some things um, and I know that's what I often do in the classes. I give prompts, but um, I get a lot of my ideas when I'm walking around, when I'm looking at advertising or TV or, or just an image or even an idea. I've even had a whole story developed from coming up with a title. And sometimes that's me overhearing someone say a phrase and I'm like, Oh, that's so good. And sometimes it never quite happens or it just hasn't happened yet. Like I think there's a show. I don't even know what it is. Cause I've only seen the advertisement. Is it called necessary roughness? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't have television. Okay. okay so I don't <laughs> know what this show is and it could be called unnecessary roughness but I think it's called necessary roughness and it might be a sports thing I'm sure someone's gonna be like oh I watched that show anyway maybe it's not even on I don't know I saw it advertised on a subway once and I just thought necessary roughness is the best erotica story title ever yes but I just never wrote it so anyone feel free to take that but like that's <laughs> never thought about before will produce an idea or the spark of an idea. And I tend to have more ideas than I know what to do with, but mm -hmm. I love that part of the writing process. And when I'm teaching, I love, you, you can sort of see it happens on people's faces when you're sitting in the room with them where, you know, sometimes they're writing very slowly or their pens hovering or their fingers are hovering over their keyboard and then they start writing and it almost doesn't matter exactly what they're writing, at least in that moment. I mean, yes, if you're going to go on to do something with it, it does matter what you're writing. But to me that you're getting, like you said, out of that overthinking mode and into writing, you know, you might be in an erotica class and you might think you're writing erotica, but that might turn into an essay because it might have sparked some thought about this thing you did once that has always stayed with you. I, I don't know. You know, you don't always wind up with the final product. That's what you set out to do, but that's okay too. 
So what is it about erotica that just keeps pulling you back? You've been doing this, you've you've edited or worked on over 60 anthologies, and you've been writing about sex for over 15 years, and erotica has been a big part of that. So what is it about erotica that just keeps you coming back for more? That's a good question, because sometimes I'm like, oh, do I want to do this again? Because while I love editing erotica anthologies, there's a lot of sort of less fun parts where you're just basically fact-checking a ton. So I think what I'm drawn to is the fact that we can eroticize anything and the possibilities are endless. Even it's not that you're always writing a sex scene that involves different sexual acts than anyone else has ever done. I mean, I don't think people are recreating the wheel when it comes to what the physical action they're talking about is, but it's the way they phrase it. It's the way, how they form the sentences and what they're evoking. And that's the part that's always going to be beautiful to me because everyone's different. So everyone's going to approach that differently. And someone might, you know, think just a sigh is the most gorgeous sound ever. And I would love to hear more about that. Or someone might, you know, find a setting that just speaks to them. And that's where they set their otherwise sort of quote unquote normal. Not that I think there's a normal kind of sex, but you know, like something they think has been done a million times, they might turn on its head by moving the location or by, you know, switching up the characters or switching up some aspect of their motivation. And I think that's what keeps drawing me back that I'll never come up with all the things that someone else would, even if I sat at my computer 24 hours a day. So when I edit, I get to be like a spy on what hundreds of people are thinking about at any given time period. As an editor of Erotica, I would feel like there's this almost like voyeuristic aspect of getting to dive into other people's experiences and fantasies around sex and you're kind of this mastermind that's absorbing all these other people's like erotic landscapes and helping to shape them and put something together it sounds really fun it is fun and even though I've edited over 60 books there's still always something new I can learn about sex and about desire and how people think about those things. And, you know, it's funny because I did this book, The Big Book of Submission, and they're all very short stories, 1,200 words or less, all about BDSM and submission. And I'm doing a follow-up. And that's a lot of stories. I mean, 69 in one book about such a specific topic. Uh, But they all manage to have their own take on it. They're, they're not repetitive. I mean, I guess they're repetitive in the sense that they're all about sort of one overarching uh, theme, but they're not repetitive in the sense that you're reading and you're like, oh, I just read that. Uh, and that to me is so fun, you know, and it's why I really try to cast a wide net when I'm editing of people from, around the world and people who are seasoned writers and people who are new writers, because I think all those voices are valuable to the world, to readers and to, to the book itself. Yeah. I love that so much. And to me, that offers a lot of permission around my own experience of writing erotic stories. I think so many of us worry You know, whether it's like writing a sexy scene for a lover or it's doing dirty talk, we worry that we're going to run out of something to say or we're going to get boring at some point. And so I love hearing that, you know, you have probably read at this point thousands and thousands of stories and even just editing a book around submission and having 69 of them, that there's still this opportunity for so much nuance and so many little versions of different acts that really make them unique. And I feel like that just gives permission to all of us of, yeah, we all could sit down and write a sex scene, you know, involving bondage, but every single person listening to this would, would come up with something different that made it really exciting. Exactly. And I think even though to some people, maybe who haven't ever experienced bondage, that can sound like it's just one thing. It's obviously, if you've done it or watched it or 
looked into it, that there's so many varieties, and I don't just mean what types of materials you can use, but you know what part of the body is being bound, why you're doing it, where it's taking place, how it's being done, like what part of it is being ritualized, you know, is it part of a power play? Is it just that this person enjoys the feeling of being bound and whose point of view is it from? I think that especially the point of view thing can really change a story. Like if you're writing something from the point of view of someone being bound, that's going to be pretty different from if you're telling it from the other person who's doing the bindings point of view. And that's where, when you start to get into the details where it gets really fascinating. Um, and I, and I think there's things that writing can do and I'm not pitting writing against, you know, movies, but I think that um, a photo or a film can do certain things that writing can't, but what writing can do is you can really get inside the head of those people. And, you know, if I was in a room and watching, you know, person A get tied up in one corner and person B get tied up in another corner, if I'm just watching and they're not, you know, I'm, I have cues to go on by, you know, maybe what they're saying or what they look like, but I don't know what's inside their head. And mm -hmm. so with erotica, you get this chance to be inside the head of that person or that character. And those two people could have totally different motivations. Like even if the physical action looks the same, what's going on for them, what's turning them on could be totally different. And that's what I love about what erotica can tap into. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And to me, that seems like such an effective way to also communicate your experience with a partner. That's you know, like if you're well. writing, like it's one thing to share an experience with somebody, but then one of the things I really like to do is write sexy little scenes, like mini erotica and send it to my partner. And it had never really occurred to me like in explicit terms that that was an invitation to really see what my thought process is when I'm talking about these scenes and like what I'm focused on and the sensations that I really zero in on or want. Uh, and that could be like a really exciting way to connect with someone around your sexual experience. It definitely could. And I think it really gives you an opportunity to, figure it out for yourself. Mm. I don't think everyone operates this way, but I know the way I operate is that when I'm trying to figure out how I feel about something, I usually write about it. And whether that takes a fictional form or nonfiction, that process alone helps me tap into something that I don't always just come up with thinking. You know, I don't always just it's not always so obvious. And I think sometimes we have to, like you said earlier, give ourselves permission to go there. And sometimes it might be something dark or sometimes it might be something, you know, that maybe makes us uncomfortable and that's okay. You know, it, it, you can acknowledge that. Um, and it doesn't have to mean oh, just because the origin of this made me uncomfortable, I don't want to do it again. Or, or maybe it does mean that, but you know, you can explore that. And I think what, you know, fiction can do is let you explore it either as quote unquote you or as someone else, you know, maybe you're putting your own feelings onto a character who's, you know, different from you in some way. Um, they're, they're clearly not you, but they've experienced some things that you've also experienced. Yeah. One of the things that you said you really enjoy kind of rolling around in is how much fear you still see around people really kind of claiming these darker or more taboo elements of their fantasies and, and really being able to kind of claim the erotic story. Uh, if it's, if it's really truly kind of on the edges of what someone might consider acceptable and, and I, Oh, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. Well, no. I think that line of what's acceptable, you know, that's so different for everyone. And I think there's there's some things that, you know, society at large might find unacceptable. But even if there are things that, say, you or I or listeners of the show might think, oh, that's not a big deal. Like, you're bisexual. I know tons of people who are bisexual, but for some, you know, for an example, there might be people who even writing about that is very edgy for them or brings up, you know, 
questions for them. And and I think there's also a difference between writing about a character who's, say, bisexual and you being bisexual. I mean, you don't have to be like your character. Um, and I think you can still learn about yourself and about the world of sexuality by exploring characters who are different from you, because it really forces you to ask, okay, what's different, you know, what is, what's coming from the character and what's coming from me? Not mm-hmm. that you can always separate that out, but one of the exercises I do sometimes with my students is have them write about a character who's a different gender or sexual orientation than their own, write from that person's point of view. And I think often we then tend to go to an extreme and make that person so different from us because, you know, we're trying to emphasize, okay, this is something that I don't possess or I don't, that's not my experience. But that person might be way more like you as a person in their personality and their sexual desires than someone who is your gender or sexual orientation. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it also explains, you know, I've been on some of the really big erotica sites over the years and and read all kinds of stories, some of which are, you know, 30 pages, 30 web pages long, and they're really, really detailed. And some that are just like one or two pages, and it's just kind of a quick, you know, like 45 seconds get off kind of thing. Um But what I've noticed when I'm on those sites is there tends to be so many erotic stories around the, the topics that we consider very taboo in our culture, you know, like lots of incest stories, um, lots of stories around like, um, sisters or stepmoms or stepdads and kind of really playing with those things that we aren't really allowed to talk about, but if I write about it then it gives me an opportunity to kind of express some of these things that I have. And, and so, yeah, like as you're talking about, about being able to really explore something new or different, it really does feel like a safe space to be able to, to kind of let a little bit of some of that darkness out and see what's in there and tease it out. And, Oh, I kind of like that. And this feels safe. So maybe I'll do it a little bit more and a little bit more and see what's in there. I mean, I think probably all of us have something somewhere inside of us that is taboo or considered taboo in some way that maybe that's a big part of our sexuality or maybe it's a very minute part or maybe it's, I mean, I don't even know what you would call something that you might fantasize about, but not really claim as, as your, your own sexual desire. Maybe it's like a fantasy, but that you want to stay a fantasy. I don't really know where, where that goes, what category that's in, but those are the things that I often like to explore in my writing and that I think people do like to read about, um, whether it's because it's taboo or because it's just someone else's experience. Um, you know, and I think that we all, maybe, maybe we all is too broad, but a lot of people do censor themselves even when they're in the writing process, because I think we tend to make this leap of, okay, I'm writing it on my computer, you know, in five seconds, millions of people are going to see this. I, I think there, there's this assumption maybe that as soon as you write it, you're, you're branding yourself or you're, you're, you know, marking that this is something I'm interested in. And for a lot of people that is, you know, a, a problem or, or it brings up problems for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though we have come a long way, even just since I started writing erotica in the last 15 years, it is much more acceptable People know what it is in large part, thanks to 50 shades, um, (laughs) which is a whole other topic, but I do think it's 50 shades has brought more awareness of people reading erotica and erotic romance, but there's still tons of people who, you know, would either get disowned by their family or fired from their job or have suffer consequences. If, you know, the fact that they wrote erotica was known to everyone around them Mm. and that, you know, I, I don't know when that is going to go away entirely. So you mentioned that you've seen a lot of um, growth around erotica and that you've been doing this for a number of years. 
I would love to know over the course of your time and, and your career in erotica, what are some of the things that really stand out as somewhat constant? Um, that's a good question. You know, I think I, I, I don't actually, I don't really know exactly how to answer that because I think that their erotica has been around for a long time and that they're, have always been people who've who've wanted to read it, but I think I'm going to kind of answer in a backwards way. I think one of the things we're seeing more of now is more erotica out there, especially from e-publishers, that is about more niche subjects, some of which may be taboo, but some of which are just things that a print publisher probably wouldn't take a chance on because they might think, oh, there's not enough people interested in this. And I think that it's not that the interest in some of these topics is new. I'm sure there's always been people interested in them, but with the advent of the internet, people have found places to discuss them, like you were talking about. And now with e-publishing, you know, there's not as much of a risk to put out an e-book. It doesn't cost as much, and there's no physical product that is sitting in a warehouse or something. So, you know, I think that if whatever kind of fantasy or subject you're interested in, you can find erotica about it. And if for some reason you can't, you can write that and publish it. And it's amazing. Like the turnaround time (laughs) is almost nothing. You you see things in the news and then the next day, Chuck Tingle, which um, I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes. Chuck Tingle is this guy who writes these crazy sounding uh, erotica ebooks about all sorts of things and he'll just take something that's happening in the news like um brexit the you know britain mm-hmm. the vote around that and he i believe he i'm gonna confirm this he wrote an ebook about like you know getting pounded by brexit or something uh, <laughs> and i'm gonna check that i'm not making this up but i don't think i could make that up and to me <laughs> you know that's hilarious and kind of awesome that people are responding in real time to what's going on in the world. And, you know, sometimes they're satirizing it. Sometimes they're mocking it, mm-hmm. but they're also having fun with it and eroticizing it. And like, I think that's wonderful. And I think that's such a, you know, gift to writers and readers that you can put your work out and people around the world can access it in ways that, you know, they couldn't 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. The accessibility has certainly changed. Yeah. And and I think that like, not that everyone's going to want to write about whatever the hot topic of the news is, but you can. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to read the exact title, which I never could have memorized of this <laughs> Chuck Tingle. Um, there's actually two. One is called Pounded by the Pound, Turned Gay by the Socioeconomic Implications of Britain Leaving the European Union. And that came out on June 24th. And then he put out another one on July 2nd, clearly just very soon after, slammed by the substantial amount of press generated by my book, Pounded by the Pound. So, (laughs) like, you have to love that he not only wrote one book about that, but then turned the next one into another one. And the whole long super long slam by the substantial amount of press title is on a book cover. Granted it's an ebook cover, but still like I I just think that's hilarious and awesome and um uh I'm very amused by Chuck Tingle. See, so to all of our listeners who have any idea around writing erotica or sex stories, you can do it. <laughs> yes. If if you take anything away from, you know, the proliferation of just erotic writing out there, you know, I think, I think anyone can do it. And, um, you know, does that mean you, you know, you'll self publish and immediately sell millions of copies? Not necessarily like you might though. Um, um, but I think that you can find your audience, especially on social media. I mean, maybe you're interested in something. I'm trying to think of something super obscure, and of course, the first thing my eyes land on as I'm looking around my room is Hello Kitty. So I don't <laughs> want to go there with Hello Kitty erotica. I'm sure it exists. So I'm going to choose something else. Um, 
Uh, well, okay. I, the other thing that is all around my room is books. Um, and it reminds me of a story I published called Book Lover by Donna George Story that I think was in the Big Book of Orgasms. And it was about a woman with a book fetish. So let's just say like the smell of books turns you on and this, you know, feeling them, touching them as happens mm-hmm. in this story. And, and you're like, okay, what do I do with this book fetish? I mean, I would just Google book fetish. I've never, I don't think I've ever done that, but you know, or or whatever it is that you want to write about, whether that's actually your personal fetish or not, uh, you can connect with other people who share that or create a forum for that somehow. And whether that's, you know, that could be about erotica, that could be a blog or something. But I think that's one of the beauties of the internet is that, you know, people who do share those interests can can find each other. And I think that's been the case for erotica writers, especially um, that, you know, they can build up their audiences in ways that I don't think were necessarily available before anyone could have a website or a blog. So having read so many different kinds of stories, what to you really makes for a solid piece of erotica? Like something that you start reading it and you want to finish it? This is both like a hard and an easy question because, you know, it's in a way it's, and and I know it when I see it kind of situation, um, but, you know, I think what really makes it compelling is that I want to feel like I know what that character is thinking and feeling. Like I want to know why what they're doing turns them on. Um, and however you want to show me that or tell me that, that's fine. Like it doesn't have, you don't literally have to say this is turning me on because, but in addition to knowing what they're doing with their bodies, I want to know, you know, why that thing is so exciting to them in that moment. And when an author can do that, when they can, you know, take me right inside that person's head and body. And I can feel like, Oh, that totally makes sense that you would be turned on by, you know, um, you know, whatever it is, books mm-hmm. or Hello Kitty, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, or, or something, you know, whether that's something I would be turned on by or not, like, that's not the point. The point is that I'm swept away in your story and I'm totally right there with you. Even if after I turn the last page, I'm a little uncomfortable, like, Oh, you know, I didn't know I could be turned on by that. Like, I think that's great when people can, when writers can make a reader think, Oh, like, what did I just read? What What's happening there? You know, why did I, why did I enjoy that when I wouldn't have thought I would enjoy that? So while I don't have a simple, you know, hook mm-hmm. to, to say, this is the magic ticket to how to write erotica. I, I think you really want to understand before you start writing or as you're writing, what turns your characters on about what they're doing Um, and then, you know, do your best to bring that to life on the page. I think that's so fascinating because as you were talking, it occurred to me that I think sometimes when I'm reading erotica, it's not so much that, that the topic itself is turning me on, but the character getting aroused is turning me on. And and it's not to say you go only into their mindset and ignore the physical mm-hmm. side of it. But for instance, I've edited a couple of books about of spanking erotica. And even though I personally am interested in spanking, I love reading about it. If all I was reading was like, and then I bent over and, you know, the blow landed and it was hard and, you know, it was exciting. Like you have to really bring that to life, especially if, you're writing about something like that, where by the nature of what it is, you're going to have similarities between Mm -hmm. story after story. So you really have to make it creative and make it compelling and find maybe a new, not necessarily totally new, but like a nuanced or, you know, intriguing way of talking about something that I would presume that if you're picking up a book of spanking erotica, you're either already interested in it or 
you know, have read, maybe have read it, some spanking erotica before. I mean, you, you probably know at least a little bit about what you're getting. And I think it's a challenge to try to surprise that reader who thinks, okay, I know what this is going to be about. And then all of a sudden it's different than what they expected. Yeah, the I read a story once that had a twist in it, and it made me un, just uncomfortable enough that I was kind of like, I don't know if I would admit to anyone I read this, but aroused enough that when I finished the story, I was like, well, now I have to go take care of some business. And I really liked that kind of con- conflict going on inside me of like, God, that made me so uncomfortable, and I'm so turned on, and it, it, it was... It was this interesting story about a train and a woman was using this piston in the engine room mm. of the train to fuck herself uh, while the guys working on the train were watching. And, you know, it was it was super wow. technical. This person clearly knew way more about trains than I ever would. But I wasn't expecting the story to go there. I was expecting the story to be, you know, like she seduced him and then they had sex while the train was moving or like the passengers saw or something like that, but for the scene to end with her fucking herself with the actual train and not... <laughs> I love like, that. Engage- yeah, right? And I was kind of like, whoa, that sounds so intense. And like my logic brain was kind of like, that's so dangerous, oh my God. But my body and and kind of my imagination were like, holy shit, that's so intense. And it was just really well written with a lot of explanation of kind of the feelings and the sensations. And I got so turned on by it. And I loved that. And without having read that, I I feel like what you're saying is that part of what turned you on was that this character was so immersed in that world, Mm -hmm. like that she was so swept away by all the mechanics literally of what was happening um and i thought of a good example of what i was trying to say before in one of my classes someone wound up writing a story that i don't know if i would say it was about this but necrophilia happened in the story and if you were to ask me you know before i had read that you know, what do you think about necrophilia? I probably would have had a negative reaction. And I'm not saying, okay, everyone send me erotica stories about necrophilia. I don't (laughs) even know if my publisher would let me publish that. But it actually was a really beautiful love story. Um, And I don't want to, you know, give away what exactly was happening. Mm -hmm. But it, it was tender and romantic. And it wasn't I guess, grotesque, or it wasn't what I would have thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because it was really about these characters. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, let me set out to eroticize necrophilia. It was, this is the end result of a long process um, between these people. And that is something that surprise element or that, being able to be turned on by something that maybe rationally wouldn't turn you on or would even do the opposite is what I really think erotica excels at. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's also fiction that other kinds of fiction that you might be interested in that are about things you don't want to read about. Like I kind of tend to tune out after I see too many news stories about a murder or shooting. I mean, sometimes it's just such an onslaught. You're like, okay, I want to watch Real Housewives. Um, But I read tons of murder mysteries because, you know, it's different. It's lighthearted. And not that erotica has to be lighthearted, but, you know, I think that the things we read, you know, we read for different purposes. I think Mm -hmm. some people read erotica simply to be turned on, whether they're reading with a partner or they're reading alone and masturbating. But I also think it can stay with you and really turn your mind on as well. Mm -hmm. That's not to say it has to, or that all erotica is going to do that, but I think it can. And the ones that this, the erotica that I've read that, you know, stayed with me, I might not even remember the exact book it was from or what the story was called. Sometimes I'll remember, you know, the title or the author or one element, but I'll remember how I felt as I was reading it. One of the things that I just, I adore about erotica is exactly what you're saying. Like there's certain elements to certain stories. I could never tell you what book they were in or what the title was, but I can remember these like little moments that just 
sank their teeth into me and never let go of now I really remember being turned on by certain scenes or certain elements of scenes and also how reading erotica has helped me to be more creative in my own sex life and my own fantasy landscape because it's opened my world to so many new things. I think that that's also true. I mean, whether you're reading about people who are like you or people who are totally different from you, you can still adapt what you're reading into your own life if you want to, or, and sometimes you don't necessarily set out to do that, but you know, an image might stay with you and you might think, okay, maybe physically I can't do that exact thing, but I want to try to do something similar. And this is a little bit of a switch from what we were just talking about, but I know I just said like erotica can be just pure fantasy or entertainment, which I do believe, but I also think it, it can be political or it mm-hmm. can be, there are elements of erotica that, you know, I think can help broaden people's perspective of what sex is, what desire is, and, and who we desire. And, you know, in my own work, I often have a lot of bisexual characters, and that's that's not always, you know, a prominent part of the story. It's not necessarily that they're having sex with partners of different genders or even you know, mentioning it lots of times, but it might be one mention or just acknowledging it or referring to it. And another thing that is important to me personally, and I've written about this in the nonfiction world, is writing about um, characters of size, especially men, mm. because I think I've, I've edited a book called Curvy Girls, which is about curvy girls, fat women, larger women. Um, and and I do think there's this big, handsome men trope in in some romance and erotica but I think that there could be more of it and so mm-hmm. I've written a few stories where you know it's very clear that the characters are I wouldn't say fetishizing a person because of their size but they find these larger men exciting and arousing and there's one story I wrote called I want to hold your hand which I think I put on my goodreads page um as a free read um, where it's about a woman whose uh, husband has has lost a lot of weight and all of a sudden all these women are hitting on him and noticing him that hadn't before and he's kind of excited by that but she feels like oh she misses you know the old him like she mm-hmm. didn't necessarily want him to lose the weight and I think that's a perspective you don't see that often um, in, our, in our culture generally or in erotica I think the erotica and romance I read, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, washboard abs and six packs Mm -hmm. and, and this idea that there's only one body type for men. That's the best or, or, or a narrow range. I think there's more room for plus size heroines and romance and erotica than there is, or, or we, we see more of them than we do of bigger guys. Um, and and I think that I, I would like to see more variety, um, not just in terms of weight, but in, in, in physical appearance generally. Like, not everyone has to have the so-called perfect body, which obviously I don't think there's any such thing as, you know, this mythical perfect body that everyone is going to try to look the same. But I think that it can be a default when we're writing erotica Maybe it's because people think it's a fantasy and that's what everyone wants to read about. But I think, again, like just as an anthology editor, that can get boring if every yeah. character has like a flat stomach and, you know, if every woman has big boobs. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that there's so many of these traits that we tend to think, oh, that's the ideal. But first of all, that's not the ideal for everyone. There's there's plenty of people who don't necessarily want a lover who 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 is that so-called ideal. And there's also plenty of people who don't fit that. And I, I want to see more erotica about those people, like about the the person who looks like, you know, George Costanza or something, you know, mm-hmm. like the guy who's maybe, you know, bald, but not in like the sexy bald, you know, way that we mm-hmm. think of or, or whatever it is. And, and I think that that's something where people can bring their own experiences. Like maybe you're a man who's, 
you know, five foot three and your whether however you feel about being five foot three, you can write about a character who shares that trait and and just explore that. And mm-hmm. and I, I think another thing I wanted to say um, is that erotica can tackle both what's happening in society and what's happening in our lives that isn't ideal. Like not every sentence of an erotica story has to be about the best, most amazing sex and awesome things happening. There can be really dark things or troubling things or people using sex as a way to heal from some of these problems that they face. And there is some of that in uh, Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 1. There's a story called Out of the Ordinary by Rose P. Lethe, and it's about a couple where um, one of them is trans and faces transphobia and erasure by their family and just isn't really accepted there. And so this character finds acceptance and, and, and just talks about that within their relationship. And that's not necessarily what the story is about, but I think it's an essential part of the story. So you can mix in, you know, the sexual erotic, exciting elements with the real life, not always rosy parts of Mm -hmm what's going on and, and connect those, you know, maybe, you know, someone's, you know, I'm not saying like have sex at a funeral, but, you know, to think that sex stops when we're going through breakups or deaths Mm -hmm. or illness, like sex is also a part of that. It might change. I mean, it's probably going to be different um, during those tougher times, but I think erotica can explore how sex you know, is a part of our lives during those moments too. Now, that being said, like if I'm editing an anthology, I'm probably not going to publish 20 out of 25 stories that are all about death or (laughs) illness or, you know, because I think that people do read erotica as an escape. So, but I think there's a balance and that's why I love getting to edit anthologies where, you know, maybe, you know, the bulk of them are about, you know, happier topics uh, but but some of them are maybe about things that are that are a little more challenging to read about, but I think are also rewarding to read about. I think mm-hmm. they 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 can make a statement through the lens of erotica, and and, and you know you I think for writers you just have to remember you still have to make it erotic, like it, it's it's not an essay. You're like you're not trying to make a point per se. You're weaving that in to the characters' sex lives. I love. I love everything that you just said. And to me, some of my favorite stories have been somewhat political or included some of that like pain and personal struggle. I read this really wonderful story about a trans woman who was at a play party and got strapped up in a door frame and all these people were fucking her and she had had some transphobic experiences and being at this play party and having all these people desire her and fuck her was like this really beautiful release that was also really hot to read because it was just like, there was so many sensations and people fucking and it was great. But I loved that it was something I hadn't read before. And that also allowed me to explore something that was really sexy and at the same time, really healing for the character. So yeah, I mean, I totally love that. That sounds wonderful. And I, and I think that, again, like, that's a great example of bringing, you know, figuring out how the erotic element fits in with the maybe non erotic elements. And, and I think that if you think about it in real life terms, I mean, some of the most powerful sexual experiences I've had, I mean, have been ones that are tinged with something else, you know, maybe something darker is going on in my life and sex is a way to either escape that or process that or grapple with it or, or, or just, you know, enjoy myself for a little while. Um, you know, sex doesn't exist just in a vacuum. And I think sometimes erotica can make it seem like that and that's okay. You know, I, I'm not suggesting everyone go right. Like the darkest erotica, you know, (laughs) they can, but, 
you know, you, you do have permission to write, you know, the, the tone of it, the emotional pull of it can, can encompass the span of our lives. And I've written what I call breakup erotica and it's definitely dark. I mean, people have told me it's made them cry, but, uh, I think it's some of the most poetic erotica I've written and, and moving and, you know, a lot of, I think all of those stories came out of real life breakups, but that was how I processed it. That was how I dealt with it. And it was sort of about mourning the loss of that relationship and what, what letting go of that meant to the character who was basically me, but, um, you know, that's okay too, you know, and you know, would there be a market for a whole book of breakup erotica? Like, I don't know. I think that might be too dark, mm-hmm. at least for the marketplace. But that doesn't mean you can't explore that in your writing. And I think it 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 does give this realism to a fiction story to know that sex is like this reward for having gone through something else, like like you were talking. And maybe maybe they wouldn't call it a reward, and maybe that's not going to bring true for everyone. But I think it can be this celebration um, amidst other not so celebratory things happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just circling back to writing about larger men, one of the things that has been really powerful for me as a fat woman is reading stories and seeing, you know, feminist porn that include bodies like mine, where it's not about the fetish. It's about just genuinely appreciating this body. And it, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter what size your body is. It's just gorgeous. And there's been a lot of healing around that. I don't think I've ever read an erotica that included a, a male character of size. And so to be conscious of that and to actually be working to create in that space sounds so wonderful because I I know I've certainly had lovers in the past who had bodies like George Costanza's or who had, you know, like really super strong arms and super strong legs, but had like a nice big round tight belly that hung over his pants or, you know, who had smaller than average cocks or whatever it is and had these like amazing, hot, super sexy experiences with them. But you wouldn't see that kind of a body lauded as you know sexually arousing in most mainstream sex scenes and so I love that there's some deliberate choices around that because I I really really appreciate kind of challenging what you said about this assumption that in order to be sexy you need to be like super thin and fit well and and I think both around size and just you know features and and on a lot of things like Sometimes I give this assignment to write about a celebrity, like erotica involving a celebrity, and because that's how I got my start. I wrote a story called Monica and Me about Monica Lewinsky, um, <laughs> and that was actually for a book called Starfucker, which was all about celebrities. And when I do this exercise, it's always really interesting because, you know, sometimes people will go for like a Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, like people who are held up as these so-called perfect, you know, and also white and also, you know, traditionally attractive people. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people will go for, I I would guess I would say off the beaten path people. Like sometimes they'll go for someone who is not necessarily, you know, A-list, bold-faced name that everyone would recognize, but they're a celebrity in their world. And -hmm. maybe they're famous for something other than their looks. Maybe they're famous for playing an instrument or doing a sport or whatever it is. Um, and to the people who follow that, they're as famous as Angelina Jolie. And I think it's it's a myth and a falsehood to assume that everyone wants to have sex with Brad Pitt. No, am I saying, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would want to have sex with Brad Pitt if he was just <laughs> there and like naked and like, hey, let's get it on. I'm not saying like lots of people would probably um, take him up on that offer. But that doesn't mean that he's like the only model of attractive, you know, maleness on offer. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, you know, maybe even if your first instinct is to write about like a Brad Pitt, you know, you can also look at your second or third instinct and think about like who, 
you know, who do we tend to exclude on these like best dressed lists or most attractive or hottest? Like, I think we still tend to, as a culture, not necessarily everyone. And, you know, there's plenty of media that I read that doesn't do this, but um, in the broader culture, you know, people's most beautiful, you know, issue, um, you know, we make these assumptions that everyone finds these people attractive and, that's not to knock those people, but also to say that there's plenty of other body types and Mm -hmm. features and, you know, just types of human beings out there that people do find attractive. And, and I do think it can be a a line, a line between fetishizing someone and writing about why they're attractive, like you were talking about before. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that can be done. And when it's done well, you, you can get insight into why someone would you know, be attracted to like someone who's super short and nerdy or shy or, or other traits that as a culture, we don't tend to validate, you know, I think shy people are are not as, you know, praised, you know, in, in, in terms of what I was just talking about as more outgoing people, because, like it seems more attractive to be outgoing, but that shy person might be totally have like the biggest fantasies and might be like an amazing lover. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just have to draw them out a little more. So, you know, that's another example of where, you know, I, I think like I would like to read more about characters who maybe don't seem to, be what our cultural ideal of personality is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the equivalent of body, but, but might have totally fascinating things going on inside their minds. Oh my gosh. That makes me so excited. Oh my gosh. You could write erotica about people like with depression or anxiety or who are super shy or now my mind's going all these places. I would love to read about that. Because, <laughs> you know, I think that erotica especially this, the act, the writing of it can, can be a way to explore these things that we don't always get to see or hear about, you know, because maybe people who deal with those things aren't, aren't as open about it or or don't want to talk about it. And that's not to say that if, let's say you have, you suffer from depression, like that you are obligated somehow to, you know, exhaust that in the form Mm -hmm. of erotica. But I think if you wanted to, or if maybe you've had a partner who's dealt with that, and you know what that's like, to really get at that in fiction, and not fetishize it, but just talk about how that affects someone's personal life and desire and sexuality, for better or worse. I mean, there may be positive elements there may be negative elements but those can be woven in to an erotica story in a way that that might help people I mean I I don't think you want to sit down and say I'm going to help people by writing an erotica story because you just don't know how they're going to take it but but I think what you can do is say I'm going to talk about something that I have knowledge about that I want to explore that or that I don't see written about, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes when I write my calls for submissions, I'm like, okay, I'd like to see stories about, you know, this setting or this, this type of person. But there's also, I want to know about the things that you don't see enough of in our culture or in erotica, you know, maybe you're like, oh, I wish there were more stories about X. Well, if you wrote that, I, I can't promise I'm going to read that. I mean, I can promise I'm going to read it. I can't promise I'm going to publish it. But uh, I think that when you do see a hole in the market um, like that, and it's something you would buy, you know, that's a sign that, you know, there's probably other people also thinking that. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you had any samples that you might read to us today. I do. Um, there's, oh, there's, well, it's, it, then I'm like, oh, which one should I read? But there is a story that I really love. Um, it's a humorous one. And I think sometimes I tend to like go for the humorous stories because they're fun. But, you know, within the humor, there's also something larger going on in the story, I think. And one of the reasons I personally liked it is that I've never been to Comic-Con. And I'm, I consider myself nerdy and geeky, but 
I don't, not in the like Comic-Con nerdy and geeky way. Like I don't really know anything about superheroes. Um, There's sort of holes in my pop cultural knowledge. So the fact that this is set at Comic-Con, I really enjoyed because it's this little bit of slice of life of that world. So I'm going to read a little bit of Starstruck by Lazuli Jones from Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 1. Oh, God. He's as gorgeous as he ever was. The banner hanging over the table was displaying a half-body shot of Tecton, the ebony-skinned superhero who made frequent visits to my young adult fantasies. In the shot, Tecton wore his muscle-hugging gold costume, the spandex riddled with rocky patterns. His hair was styled into small dreads. From the center of a thin gold mass, Tecton's sharp black eyes stared down. His gaze was stern but gentle, sharp but shooting, but, sorry, sharp but soothing, the opposite of what I said. The shot was from 1993. I recognized it because I'd had the same picture cut out from a magazine and taped to my bedroom mirror. I'd stare at it until I got hot and weak in the knees and carefully took the picture down to bring to bed with me. How else was a nerdy black girl going to get her sexy kicks in the 90s? Tecton was all muscle and deep rumbling voice, but God, the whole premise of his character was that he was a gentle giant. By day, he was Tyrell Jackson, a construction worker with a secret identity. By night, he was part of the titular Elemental Heroes, a six-person superhero team. And in real life, he was Desmond Kyle, the well-built and deep-voiced hunk who hadn't acted much since the 90s. Being typecast was a stroke of bad luck. Beneath the banner, 20 years older, but still radiating sex, Desmond Kyle sat in a muted scarlet dress shirt and smiled and shook hands and signed autographs. The dreads of his youth had been replaced with a shortcut, streaked with silver. I stood four people away, holding a glossy 8 by 10 of Desmond and trying to look chill, though my heart was pounding like Tyrell Jackson's jackhammer. I was surprised to see how short the line was. The only people ahead of me were chunky, nerdy boys. I was the only woman in line. I was the only black person in line. I was the only person above age 40 in line. Did I care? Oh, hell no. This was the first time in years Desmond Kyle was making a Comic-Con appearance, and I was going to meet him. I was going to talk to him, shake his hand, get him to remember me. So there is more that happens, which you <laughs> read about in Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 1. And I really love the humor in the story, but also, I mean, I, I loved a lot of things about it, but I really like that, you know, later when we do meet him, while it's from her point of view, we do get a little insight into this guy who was really lauded as this, um, you know, sexy superhero guy, but, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of get the sense that, A, he's been a little bit forgotten and doesn't have, like, a million fans throwing themselves at him, and that also he's a real person behind that, you know, character. And and I think that's when, why I really love this, the celebrity exercise, because even if you are writing a story of about Brad Pitt, I mean, maybe it's from his point of view, and... You know, who knows? I, I, I don't know. You know, I haven't personally written that. But, like, I think it is interesting to think about what would it be like to be a celebrity and have millions of people lust after you. Like, is that all it's cracked up to be? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love the little teaser that you read. I think you're so right. <laughs> like, there's this this wonderful i mean i i it's so clear to me having that picture taped to your bedroom mirror and just like staring at it and getting turned on and then taking it to bed with you i did that with my um keanu reeves posters uh so that i think that's something that so many of us can relate to from our youth but then to still have those feelings as an adult and to have an opportunity to kind of live your way into this teenage fantasy i i feel like that could go really fun places I will confess that, and this is a very long time ago, I think it was like 30 years ago, because I'm 40, I had a picture of Charlie Sheen, who I no longer lust after, and I would hope that I I wouldn't, given some of the things he's done, but um, many of the things he's done, but I did have a picture of him from his very early acting days on my wall, and I had this big silk screen of Madonna 
who I, I am still a fan of. Um, <laughs> but I, I think like what's exciting about that story, you know, to me, it was interesting because it was set at Comic-Con, but also we've all been a fan of someone, mm-hmm. whether or not we took their picture to bed with us. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that act of being a fan is arousing, you know, and exciting in its way yeah. because, you know, there's just an, an energy to it that I think she really tapped into. Yeah, and I love how even though the story is about this fan experience and then I'm assuming it starts to become sexy and something happens, yes. but yes. <laughs> what's also underneath that is a, some racial politics of like a black girl. And she's talking about being one of, you know, you know, a few and the only one the only mm-hmm. black person in that line and, you know, and he's sort of a little bit, you know, odd man out in that, in the setting as well. Um, you know, and he, I, I, you know, I, they don't really get into why his career has been neglected, but, you know, I think there, there's a lot going on in there, which it is a very funny story. And it, mm-hmm. you know, it being set at Comic-Con, there's sort of this natural humor to it, but there are other things threaded throughout it. And I think that's a great example of something where, you know, if you're writing fiction, this could apply to erotica or other things. I mean, you don't necessarily have to beat people over the head with uh, your political point to make a political point. You know, you don't have to have it there in every sentence and you don't have to say, I'm making a political point. You can weave it in, which is like when I was talking about the bigger men's stories, you know, nowhere in those do I say anything about politics per se, but you know, the idea for me is writing about something that's important to me personally, and then I deal with him, you know, my own relationship and fantasies, but also mm-hmm. just broadening readers' ideas of what kind of person we consider sexy. Oh. Well, speaking of writing our stories, <laughs> do you have any open calls for submission right now that listeners might want to pay attention to? I do. I have two of them. Uh, Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 3, is accepting submissions through December 1st. And the Big Book of Submission, Volume 2, is accepting submissions through January 10th. Um, and uh, the Women's Erotica one is open to women authors as well as genderqueer and non-binary authors. And the other one is open to anyone. Um, And I definitely encourage anyone listening who's at all intrigued to check out the calls. They're pretty detailed. And I think the biggest piece of advice I can give is to uh, read the whole thing and follow it closely. And if you have a question, ask ahead of time. Uh, But, you know, I try to put everything you might want to know in the call without saying like, I only want to read stories about this. Cause really I I'm open to a story about pretty much anything as long as it's consensual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's very like, there's one or two things that are, that are taboo, like the characters have to be over 18 and no scat. Um, but other than that, and no incest, mm-hmm. but other than that, I'm really open to anything and everything. Well, we will have links to those calls on sexgetsreal.com. And I would love for you to share with everyone any classes you have coming up or any articles and where they can find you online. I am teaching in person an erotica writing workshop in Los Angeles at the Rift Bodice. It's actually in Culver City on January 29th. And online at litreactor.com starting February 7th, I'm teaching a four-week erotica writing class. Uh, That one should be up soon. And you can follow me uh, where I post the most is on Twitter at Raquelita, R-A-Q-U-E-L-I-T-A. And you can also get my newsletter by signing up at rachelkramerbustle.com. And I do monthly book giveaways there. Oh, awesome. Well, I will have links to your Twitter and your website and the calls for submissions uh, on Sex Gets Real for this episode. So everyone, please check it out and follow Rachel and check out all the amazing work that she's constantly doing. And you write articles for huge publications like New York Times and Washington Post and L.com all the time too, right? Yes. I also do nonfiction, which is kind of a nice counterbalance to the erotica because there I have to be much more precise and um, I think then when I get to write erotica, 
I can be more free. And sometimes <laughs> I'll take something that happened to me, but I'll totally tweak it and change it. And it's really fun to do that. Yay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show this week and sharing all about erotica with us. Thank you. This was a super fascinating discussion. And now I'm like, oh, I want to read shy erotica. Like some of the things I said, I wasn't necessarily planning to say, but I'm like, that sounds super fascinating. So please write that if you're, especially if you're the shy thing, I think that would be like really fun to read about. And it could be so sweet too, Then, but then have like this really like nasty, naughty surprise or something. Exactly. Well, I want to thank everyone who tuned in this week uh, to hear all about erotica, and hopefully you will check out the best women's erotica uh, books that Rachel is putting out, and if you are tempted to write something, please make sure you submit that to Rachel, or if you have like a little tidbit you want to share with me, every once in a while I read those on air, so go to sexgetsreal.com and you can use this the contact form to send questions or little stories in. I would appreciate that. And you can also follow Sex Gets Real on both Twitter and Facebook. So thank you so much. I will talk to you next week. This is Dawn Sarah. Bye.